Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks so much for sharing Christmas with us on on a special day like this, whether at church or, or listening online. Merry Christmas to you all. I thought we'd look at a little scripture in Philippians chapter 2 today because this scripture shows us both the spirit of Christmas and the substance of Christmas. And it does that by answering two frequently asked questions in our culture about Christmas. The first question is, how do you celebrate Christmas? We ask each other that routinely, don't we? How do you celebrate Christmas? It's like a conversation starter at this time of the year, isn't it? And our cultural answer to that question usually comes at the level of what we do to celebrate Christmas. And at that level, we've probably all got, you know, a how for how we like to celebrate Christmas, if we're thinking at that level. You know, what we like to do to mark the occasion, you know, where to go, what to eat, who to visit, blah, blah, blah. But the Bible responds to that question Uh, as to how we should celebrate Christmas at a deeper level. And it's in terms of the attitude, the the spirit of Christmas, uh, of how we do whatever it is that we do do. And in a nutshell, that that spirit of how we ought to go about Christmas is is really just about putting aside what we like or, or what we think or what we feel for the sake of others. Let me read from, say, verse 3 of that passage again in Philippians 2, just just to catch that idea. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that's the thrust of how we should celebrate Christmas, regardless of what it is that we choose to do to celebrate Christmas, because this is the basic Christian spirit of of how we pursue everything, isn't it? And how we pursue all of our relationships, just as Christ modelled for us and called us to do. But how well, here's the thing, how well does this other person-centred kind of approach actually line up with our actions and choices at Christmas time. I mean, there's, there's probably elements of this this spirit of Christmas in, in everyone's Christmas. I mean, I mean, we do this a bit, don't we? we? We think of others, that is Christmas. We give gifts and so on. But is this still our posture, you know, through the whole event of Christmas? Or do we perhaps think of others to some extent, but ultimately then insist on Christmas how we like it done. Is Christmas actually one of those days of the year when, at a deeper level, we actually switch off this Christian posture of humility and other person-centeredness? You know, deal with the obligatory, deal with the customary, uh, and so on, but but then just, you know, shelve this and put ourselves first, you know, just for once. I was quite convicted by this text over the past couple of weeks in the lead up to Christmas. And in in all honesty, look, I confess that Christmas actually draws out bad elements in me. Selfish elements in me. Elements that are contrary to what this text teaches. It turns out I have a bit of selfish grinch inside me. and, And Christmas just tends to bring that out. 
And there's all kinds of complicating factors going into that, I think. You know, past memories of hurts and arguments and disappointments and unappreciated effort and and so on and so on. But neither those things nor Christmas itself are, are to blame. The problem is within me. A sinful, selfish Grinch is is just buried inside of me and and it could rise up at any time. Christmas just seems to be particularly good at at drawing it out. It reminds me of my weakness and, and points me, therefore, to scriptures like this for correction. And then, of course, we... We should reflect on this the other way around, in that, you know, the simple ways in which Christmas does help us to, to capture this Christian spirit, you know, the other person-centred nature of, of gifting and, and visiting and, and so on. Perhaps we, perhaps we kind of open that up and embrace it at Christmas as we should, but then switch that other person-centred posture back off again tomorrow. You know, have this mind as a Christmas thing, more than an everyday thing. But this text reminds us that this is the whole way of life. This is the whole way of life that God has opened up for us now. And it's an other person-centered way of thinking all the time. So as to that first question, how do you celebrate Christmas? Well, everyone may have their own ideas on the choices and the, and the activities and so on, but But this text teaches us and teaches all of us how we all ought to do those things that we do. That the posture of our Christmas, just as it's the posture we've been called to every day. The spirit of Christmas is is simply a Christian spirit, which at its heart puts others first. So I wonder if next time someone asks you that question, how do you celebrate Christmas? You might answer, humbly, I celebrate Christmas by considering others more significant than myself, just like Jesus did. The second question this text answers is is a variation on the theme, really. (laughs) What does Christmas mean to you? What does Christmas mean to you? Our culture has become very muddled on this one. Ask someone this second question of what of what Christmas means to them, and they usually answer it the same way they answered that first question about what they do on Christmas. What does Christmas mean to me? Oh, family. It's about food. It, it, it's it's a chance to relax and unwind, and and so on. And not that those things that we we do aren't good and beautiful, and and so on. But but there's a fundamental difference, isn't there, between what we celebrate and what we choose to do to celebrate it. Again, the Bible takes that question and answers it at a deeper level. It it focuses us very specifically on the baby Christ, the baby Christ of Christmas. But what is it about this baby specifically? What is the actual substance of, of all of this celebration? What is it about Jesus that we really need to to make sure we've taken hold of, to to celebrate Christmas right. Well, the second part of our scripture flags four things about this baby Jesus that, that we should celebrate at Christmas. And as we reflect on these four things about Jesus, we might we might think about this text in Philippians 2 here 
in light of that beautiful Christmas carol, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. Hark, by the way, is is one of those old-time words, and it it means listen, pay attention. In in the carol, the, the angels are heralding something vital, something cosmic. A new king has been born, and he is to receive glory. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But really, what, what kind of king is this baby? I mean, from what we know, not just of, of the Christmas narrative, but, but, but from what we know in all of Scripture in the Gospels, there, there wouldn't even be a single day in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus when he would have looked anything like a king. Not in the way we think of kings. And yet Jesus actually often spoke about the kingdom, didn't he? He talked about the kingdom of heaven all the time. And if you're anything like me, then you probably only really think of those two things a little bit separately. I mean, that kingdom of heaven is a beautiful but vague kind of concept, and we think about it over here sometimes. And the idea of Jesus being a king is also cool and and interesting, but but it's a separate kind of idea in in our brains. It's, It's over there, and we think about it at other times. But we really should be seeing those two things together in clear connection all the time. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking about his kingdom, the eternal and glorious kingdom that's coming after this world passes away. That kingdom all belongs to him. And it's going to be epic. And our text here in Philippians 2 shows us some serious perspective on that. It says that Jesus is the king who every single one of us, eventually every single one of us needs to recognize this king. Look with me at at Philippians chapter 2 from verse 9 about the coming sphere of this king. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether in or out of this coming kingdom, everyone's going to have to bow before Jesus. Hark indeed. Glory to the newborn King. But if we wind the clock back to that first day of that first Christmas, and as, as this king lies just as, just as this humble baby in that lowly manger, we're also in unique territory on that day. Because, because this baby king that the angels are declaring is, is no less than God. In our lowly human form, God. Look at verse 6 of our scripture. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Deep down in our spiritual subconscious, we all yearn to be with our Creator God. We might have even wondered if, you know, one day we might get to meet him. 
But the Bible shows to us a God that came to us. The eternal Son became like one of us, taking on our human form. As the carol sings, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Christmas doesn't just introduce us to our King. It introduces us to our God. The God who would humble himself and come into his creation. I guess that would be kind of like you or I becoming I don't know, a plastic Lego person to, to enter into our, our Lego play scene. God enters his creation as one of us. And not by emptying his divinity, as Jesus showed us and reminded us constantly by, by his, his continuing power in, in spectacular miracles. Rather, he emptied himself of dignity and status by taking on our lowly human form to live humbly among us. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Christmas reminds us that that God entered his creation like this with purpose. With purpose. So that he could have a body, a, a mortal flesh and blood body just like ours. So that he could surrender that body to death. To pay for our sins. That's what's going on at Christmas. That's why God did this. Here's what that teaches us about our God. God is righteous. Righteous like we can't even imagine righteous. And in his perfect righteousness, God must therefore judge against us and our sin. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news if you haven't heard that before. But in his mercy, if you'd like some good news, in his mercy, God carried out our judgment on himself. That's why he came into the world like this, to take a body for himself so that he could sacrifice that body bearing all the punishment that we deserve to die for our sin. That is why he's there in that manger on Christmas morning. Verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You were thinking, you know, it'd be kind of fun to be in the Lego world for a day. Not if this was the reason for it. Death on a cross. We are more to God than, you know, Lego people are to us. He died for us because he loved us. He died for us because he loved us and and he wanted to save us from, from the awful judgment that our sin must receive if there's to be any righteousness. 
so that we can be free from that penalty our sin incurs on us, free to be with him as his people rather than judged and and cast out of his presence forever. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Now peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Which brings me back to that kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about all the time. Through his body that God took up and and laid down in death, the penalty of our sin has now been paid. And so Jesus, our God and our King, Jesus has, has thereby opened this kingdom of heaven for us. Through him, our King, and by faith in his death for us, we may have life in God's loving presence forever. The sin that should have banished us from his righteous kingdom has, has been paid for and dealt with, and the kingdom is now open for us. This, this is exactly why he came as that baby in that manger. And the outflow of all this for you and I is that if we belong to Jesus, then we are taken into glory with him. We are made citizens of that kingdom of heaven that Jesus was always talking about. Right now, we are made citizens of that kingdom by Jesus Christ, our King. Turn the page and see that with me. In chapter 3 of this scripture, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Do you catch the present tense there? Our citizenship is in in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now check out the future, verse 21, the future of what is now destined for us. Our Saviour Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, this is what we celebrate today, and nothing less. This is the gospel of Christmas. Trust in this Jesus as your Saviour, your God, your King, and receive your place in this glory. I wonder if you'll answer that second question like that. Next time someone asks you, you know, what does Christmas mean to you? Answer something like that. The real substance of Christmas is that in Jesus we are saved from our sin, and we have been swept up, therefore, into this coming glory with him. Even now our names have already been written down as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of our king. It's a beautiful thing that the gospel truth captured in the second part of our scripture is actually what frees us up as Jesus' people, to live out that first part of the scripture with one another in the here and now. The substance of Christmas unlocks the spirit of Christmas. That's beautiful, isn't it? Hark this Christmas, hark, hark indeed, because this is big news. If we belong to Jesus then we're going to be singing with those angels around his eternal throne forever. 
Let's praise him and praise him and praise him again while we're waiting in the here and now. Hallelujah and Merry Christmas and Amen.